0: join us whatever country you're from whatever church you go to come and sign up join us in getting to host night to shine around the whole world yes our goal is to be able to get to every person with special needs around the world until all are celebrated and you ask what is night to shine night to shine is a worldwide prime experience for people with special needs in 56 countries to over a thousand cities over a thousand host churches over a half million for kings and queens with nearly a million volunteer experiences for buddies and cheers on the red carpet and people that have been there to crown the kings and the queens but guys there are so many more that have never been celebrated and we're asking if you would be a part of letting us celebrate all of these image bearers with a prom night experience where every single person is celebrated as a king or the queen of the prom, not just because they are in our eyes, but because they are in God's eyes. Seeing the joy that every honored guest gets to experience, seeing how it fills up not just that guest, that honored guest, but their families, their caregivers, the host churches, the host communities. And I feel like so many people are missing out because Magic Shine is not in every city or every country around the world just yet. celebrated we have a lot of work to do because we want every life to know how valuable how loved how special they are so please would you join us in our 10th year anniversary of celebrating
1: 9 a.m. to
2: 2:30, We're going to have fellowship together, worship together, and
1: hear from the Lord together through my new friend, Shadia, who is an author and Bible study leader. Uh, we're also going to have a great time of worship together with Jenny Lamb and Laura Perez. We are also going to eat lots of good food and the guys are gonna serve us this year so we don't have to work so men, you can purchase a ticket for your wife for Valentine's Day and uh, offer to watch the kids that morning and that way she can come and enjoy this little mini retreat uh, you can sign up in the lobby today or you can go online at bridges.info
3: Church, thank you for worshiping with us this morning as we are singing to what scripture calls the Ancient of Days, one of the many ways we refer to God, one of the many names of God, because God was and is and ever shall be. He is the Ancient of Days. Let's continue our time of worshiping uh, through song together, and we pray that through our songs, through all that we do, Christ be magnified in us. my grip. Oh, Christ be magnified From the altar of my life Christ be magnified
2: in
3: me Lord God, that is our prayer That Christ be magnified in each of us God, as we worship you, as we sing your praises this morning, would you draw us nearer and nearer to you, nearer than we've ever been before. God, bring us in and remind us of the love of Christ. Remind us of what Christ has done for us, the completed work on the cross. Set that in our hearts so that we can share that with those around us, so that we can go out into the world making disciples of all nations. Lord, we thank you for Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. the elementary school students uh, to join miss alba in the back and laura is going to read our scripture this morning
4: first peter 3 8 through 18 finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling
5: The pastor of the church um, where, where I went to high school uh, would say when the weather was bad, he would say, um, only the most beautiful and the most faithful uh, show up to church on days like this. So uh, you get the same joke and looking around, I think he was right, way to go. Um, If the weather were not challenging enough this morning, um, for some Christians, there might not be a sermon message you'd like to hear less uh, than what we're talking about today. No, it's not money, so maybe it's second place, okay? Uh, We're talking about sharing your faith with others. We call it witnessing or evangelism. Most of us probably know that we're supposed to do it. Probably not very many of us feel like we do it extremely well, and particularly if you are more introverted and you don't enjoy drawing attention to yourself, you don't enjoy standing out from the crowd, talking about Jesus when the crowd doesn't see a need for him, that might seem like a big hurdle. We worry about knowing what to say we worry that we'll say something wrong. Or worst case scenario, we worry that what we say might actually push someone away from Jesus when what we're trying to do is draw them near. You don't have to raise your hand, but does any of that sound familiar? Part of of the difficulty is that we live in a culture that thinks it already knows everything there is to know about what Christians believe. The people around us, the people that we work with, people who we live next to, often think they have already investigated Christianity and decided it's not for them. So they have written it off. I don't think there's anything very special or compelling about it. And actually, these days, there's an increasing number of people who think that Christianity is dangerous, that it's bad for society. So how do we witness, how do we share our faith in a culture like If you weren't around Bridges a couple years ago, we actually did a whole series on that question. You can find it on our website. Um, It was called A Better Story because Jesus gives us a better way to understand our world and live in it than any of the other cultural narratives that are out there. In that series, we talked about how Christians can share our faith from conversations that we're already having. Um, We don't have to initiate anything. Many of you said that series was very helpful, so it's worth reviewing from time to time. I actually hope someday it can be a book, and I'm working on that, so you can pray about that that might come together. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we'll dive in today is the unique opportunity that exile creates to share how compelling and wonderful Christ is. We are in week five of our six-week series entitled, Exiled. How to live in a place or how to live in a culture that isn't home. And what we have seen throughout the series is that exile often, but not always in Scripture, means we're living in a place like we are as believers in Christ where we have reduced cultural influence or cultural power. We live in a place where our beliefs um, and values are not shared by those in control of the academic institutions, the media, the entertainment engines, right? The societal norms, the people who shape those often see the world differently than we do. And our whole series has been about how do we live in a place like that. We talked about our identity when we live there. We talked about what we need to lament, what we need to embrace. And today we're looking at sharing our faith in a culture that doesn't hold our beliefs and is sometimes hostile to our beliefs. We're back in the book of 1 Peter, and if you haven't already, I recommend reading 1 Peter all the way through, multiple times, um, even before the end of our series next week. But as we look at this small passage from chapter 3 of 1 Peter, we will see the unique conditions exile can create, which help not hurt us in sharing our faith, the required response from us under those conditions, and if we don't respond the right way, um, we'll actually blow our opportunity to be able to share. And then finally, we'll ask what people will ask us if we have responded the right way. So, unique conditions exile can create the, reco- the required response from us, and then what people will ask if we've done our job correctly. So, first, I think it's already up there. The unique conditions exile can create, which help do not hurt us in sharing our faith, is reviling, suffering, and slander. All of those terms can be found in our passage, verse 9, 14, and 16. Those those conditions can only exist when we are different from the culture around us. The only time we would have an opportunity to be reviled or slandered or endure suffering because of our beliefs is when our beliefs, values, and practices are not supported by those around us. Obviously, if we're in a setting in a culture that reinforces how God says to live, then we won't ever be challenged then, right? It's only when we stick out as different and contrary that we might be dismissed or maybe ridiculed or worse. But even if we do stick out as different, and even if we do suffer some kind of consequence, it's not as if we are always under threat for our faith. That's why we say exile can create these conditions. There will occasionally be, and there will occasionally be some moments of exclusion, consequence, difficulty, but it won't, it won't be always, right? Peter in these verses say, if you suffer, for your faith. So it's not every moment of every day, but he also says when you are slandered. So it's going to happen, but it's going to vary in degree and frequency. And if you think about the exilic periods in Israel's history that we see in scripture, like the whole book of Daniel. Right? Daniel records Daniel living in exile after being taken captive to Babylon. So he's he's like every moment of the day he's in exile, but even then the suffering, reviling, slandering that he endured, it came and went. It wasn't all the time. In fact, most of the time, life seems to be pretty okay for Daniel. He has a prestigious position. He's an advisor to the king. He lives in luxury. So, most days, not a lot of difficulty for him. But there are moments when, because of his faith, he faces challenges. It's not always to the same degree. Sometimes it's a huge challenge, sometimes it means life and death for him, but then other times it doesn't mean that, right? I mean, Daniel requests to eat kosher food in one chapter, which is much different when later he is thrown in a den of lions for praying. There are different intensities to the pressure against him, and sometimes there's no pressure at all. Other times there's a lot, and that's what it will be like for us. It's not like we face constant animosity for our faith. In fact, the people around us, most of the time, maybe nearly all the time, are pretty nice. This is a pretty cushy place to live compared to many other parts of the world. But there will be moments, maybe a lot of moments, maybe a few moments, but there will be times when the culture, when those in authority over us, maybe it's a teacher, Maybe it's a supervisor, maybe it's our friends, maybe it's the government. Sometimes there will be pressure on us to conform. But in order for us to stay faithful to God, we can't. We have to stand apart as different. And by doing so, we will face a consequence. We will lose something. We might only lose respect. We might lose an opportunity. We don't get the promotion. We might get canceled Or like Daniel, in the most severe case, probably not where we live, but your life could be threatened because of your faith. Followers of Christ in other parts of the world certainly, often, frequently gather to worship under threat of death. It's not uncommon. Even today, it's not uncommon. It's just uncommon here praise God. And really anywhere in the West, it's uncommon. So we probably won't face that. But there are moments where it will cost us something to stay faithful to God. And those moments are the unique opportunities exile can create to share our faith. They are the moments, depending on our response, when we can show how compelling Christ is, to show his sufficiency They are the chance we have to show people who think they know about Jesus that there is more to him than they have ever imagined. But it hinges on our response. The required response from us, and if we don't respond this way, then we blow the opportunity to share our faith. The required response from us is blessing rather than cursing and submitting without conforming. Blessing rather than cursing, submitting without conforming. Now, that's quite a lot. So, we'll go through it slowly, and then we'll give a bunch of specific examples. And along the way, we'll see how compelling it really would make our faith. So, first, blessing rather than cursing. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, meaning bless those who are reviling you, for this you are called. So, notice first, we're not supposed to stay silent when we're cursed or slandered. Peter mandates a verbal reaction. When there is a cost for following Christ, we speak up. But we don't speak up to complain, we don't speak up to moan and groan about how uncomfortable we are. Instead, we speak in favor of the one who is causing us trouble. Now, if you think, hey, I bet I could still pray for the person who was causing me trouble, and maybe that's sort of like blessing, but I could complain at the same time, right? No, actually, you can't. Peter has accounted for you. Later in his letter, Peter actually says, rejoice when you experience suffering for obedience to God. First Peter 4.13. So our reaction, Peter says, is rejoicing in suffering and blessing those who caused the suffering. Do you know anyone who does that? when attacked, turns around and blesses their attacker. Do you see how unique a response that would be? No one reacts that way. Everyone complains about losing reputation, losing power, losing control. So when they are slandered, when they are maligned, when they are reviled, what do they do? They fight back. Right? Eye for an eye. You insult me, I'm going to insult you. I get name-called, I'm going to name-call you back. My opponent's gaining ground, I'll just defame their character. If I can't find anything wrong that they've actually done, I'll call them evil. I'll call them wicked. Tear them down however I can. Mock them. That's what people do. That's what much of our political discourse is. But that's not how Christians respond. When Christians are cursed, maligned, slandered, character assassinated, Peter says, We turn around and speak blessings over the one who has attacked us. That's a command. If you say you follow Christ, you don't have an option if you do it or not. Bless rather than curse. But at the same time, we don't give in to pressure and conform, we do not go along to get along. We do not roll over and acquiesce, whether it's company policy or national policy. I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm a company man. I'm a good soldier. That's not what Peter instructs either. In our verses, Peter writes, turn away from evil and do good. Verse 11. I mean, if someone pressures you to do evil, don't do it. Even if you're going to suffer consequences, keep doing good. And he continues, have no fear of the people who are causing you to suffer, nor be troubled. He's saying, keep doing what God says. And if uh, authorities, whoever they are, give you a consequence for that, don't complain. Instead, rejoice and bless them. It goes along with what Peter had said in the previous chapter. This chapter 2, verse 13. Peter says, submit. those who are in authority. Peter fits together concepts that we may not immediately think go together. Peter thinks you can submit to authorities, even evil authorities, and at the same time keep doing what God says to do yourself, even if the authorities you're submitting to say for you not to keep following God. Peter thinks you can submit even to evil authorities, but not conform to them. Now, Peter has a pretty hopeful view of government authorities, actually every human institution, he says. The previous chapter where he says submit um, to whatever the powers are who are over you, he says whoever has power over others was given that power. The reason God gave them that power and position was, was so that they could promote what was good and they could punish what was evil. Peter says that's how it should work. He says, what should happen is if if you're doing good, if you're following God, whatever power structure is over you, it should reward you, okay? That's ideal. But he says, even if somehow it got flipped around and those power structures punish you for doing good, don't let it bother you. In fact, rejoice. Even bless those who are punishing you for doing good. You keep doing the right thing and you submit to them. Don't try to overthrow them. If you don't see how all that can fit together and happen at once, um, the Bible and even history gives us some examples. And conveniently, Peter is not commanding his readers to do anything that he didn't do himself. You may remember Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested for talking about Jesus. The authorities told them, never talk about Jesus again. And the apostles said, sorry, we're gonna keep talking about Jesus. Uh, so they kept doing the right thing. They didn't let you know the law slow slow them down from doing right. And as expected, they were punished. They were flogged. They were whipped and beaten for talking about Jesus. But when that happened, they didn't complain. They didn't gripe at all. Instead, they rejoiced. They high fived each other when they got persecuted. Which also shows, you think about this, they were submitting to those who were in authority. They took the punishment without a fight. They didn't try to overthrow those authorities from their positions of power. They didn't try to outmaneuver them. They didn't organize a coup. They said, if this is the punishment for doing right, bring it on. Governors, magistrates, you still have the authority I'm in no way trying to overthrow you or to oust you, but I'm going to keep doing the right thing. And if you punish me for that, the only reaction you can expect out of me is rejoicing. Do you see this balance? Blessing rather than cursing, submitting without conforming. It's similar to what we see in Daniel. You know, we referenced earlier in Daniel, the, the king gets tricked into making prayer illegal. So the law becomes whoever prays will get thrown into the den of lions. I mean, talk about persecution escalating quickly. It seems like if there was ever going to be a moment to complain about those in power legislating evil, that would have been the moment to complain. But Daniel doesn't complain. He doesn't spend time saying these laws of this country are unfair to believers he doesn't make a fuss at all. He doesn't try to overthrow the king. He doesn't try to remove the king from power to establish laws that are more favorable to believers. He doesn't do any of that. He submits to the king. But he doesn't stop praying either. Even though prayer is illegal, he keeps doing the right thing. And then when he is punished for doing the right thing, when he is thrown into the lions, it's so be it it's a unique position. It's nuanced. It's neither overpowering nor conforming. And in the best instances, like Peter commands, it's even blessing those who are attacking you while rejoicing that you're suffering consequences. It's rare, maybe more than rare, might be never that we see anyone do anything like that. We've probably come close a few times. In the history of our nation, probably the person or movement that came closest to what Peter describes as like MLK's nonviolent protests, you know, they said, for instance, we're going to sit at this lunch counter because it's wrong for you to tell us that we can't, so we're going to sit here. But when we get arrested, we just get arrested. We're not going to fight the people who are arresting us. We're going to be in the system, but not of the system, And by doing that, they were witnesses to the system. They were very effective, actually, in changing the system. Blessing rather than cursing. Submitting rather than, or instead of conforming, without conforming. Um, Another example from history. Not of Christians getting it right, but of us getting it wrong. Um, And I'll say us who got it wrong because we've got to claim all of our history, right? Example of us getting it largely wrong. Not entirely wrong, largely wrong, was the church in Nazi Germany. As the Third Reich grew in power and pressured all of society to conform to its ideology, you know, it incrementally increased pressure on the church as well. Um, Some of the Nazi demands probably seemed small at the time, right? Like churches were required to hang the Nazi flag in their sanctuaries, which appalls us, if it should, we would never do that. But if you put yourself in the moment, those churches reasoned, they thought something like, hey, if we can still preach whatever we want, and we can run the church however we want, and all we got to do is hang a flag over there, okay, I guess. But other demands seemed large even to them. Nazis wrote what was referred to as the Aryan paragraph, which banned people from Jewish descent, basically from the entirety of public life, including the church. So if you were Jewish, or your parents, or even your grandparents were Jewish, you were excluded, you were fired, removed, from academic institutions, government positions, and they wanted it to be removed from pastoral positions and even membership in churches. Didn't matter if you were a Christian, and your parents were Christians, or even your grandparents were Christians. If you had Jewish biological descent, you're out. And devastatingly, churches argued with each other about whether or not they should go along with that. It shouldn't have even been a discussion, right? But the saddest part is that ultimately, many churches did go along with it. One exception is the small breakaway group called the Confessing Church. The rest of the churches basically fell in line, they hung the flag, they removed people from membership either overtly or discreetly. And then of course, because of their silence about concentration camps, they were complicit in the Holocaust. If you want a case study of what not to do, they are the quintessential example. It's easy to look at them and say, you guys got it wrong. But it's trickier to come up with specifics of what would have been right. Should the Christians have fled to another country? Some of them did. Should they have organized protest marches? Like what should have been the response? Before you answer, remember, if you are a Christian, you are bound by what Peter and other biblical authors command. So the specifics are, the big picture is, Peter says, one, submit to the government even if they're evil. But two, also, do the right thing yourself And then, three, if you're punished for doing the right thing, bless those who punish you and rejoice. So, now back to the question what should they have done? Stormed the Capitol? Overthrown the leaders? Hard to claim you're submitting if that's what you're doing. But should they have gone along with all the rules and kept quiet? about the concentration camps, like they did. No, of course not. We already said that's not doing the right thing. It seems, this would make a great lunch discussion. It seems at a minimum, so you might think of more actions they could have taken, but at a minimum, right, they should have refused to hang the flag. They should have kept people with Jewish descent on, as employees in their churches and on membership roles, and they should have proactively housed, hid, and helped every Jewish person they could find. Every church should have been a refuge for displaced Jewish people. And then, when they were arrested for noncompliance, and they would have been, how does Peter say to respond? Rejoice! Bless those who persecute you! So, when you're in jail, maybe you're starving and cold, you could ask the jailer, hey, is there any way I can serve you? I mean, I know I'm in jail, so I probably can't run out and get you a sandwich, but maybe is there a way I could pray for you? And then you're about to get executed, and you could pray out loud, Jesus did this, remember? Lord, forgive this executioner. He knows not what he does. Lord, bless this executioner. May you give him peace and long life. Help him lead his family well. May the relationship with his wife grow in depth and intimacy. Bang! Peter's instructions seem extreme. They probably feel totally unreasonable, even though it is exactly what he and other first first century Christians did. They, even though other Christians have done this. It seems impossible for us to follow. It might even seem irresponsible to us. But let me ask you this. What if every Christian in Germany in 1943 had done what Peter says? Not one or two of the Christians who lived there, not just the confessing church, but all of them, a hundred percent of the Christians in the whole nation. of them, housing, helping Jewish people, submitting to the consequences for doing so, rejoicing and blessing those who punish them. What effect do you think that would have had? How many times could a guard execute prisoners when every single prisoner is rejoicing and praying blessings over the guard while being executed? How many times can a guard pull a trigger under those conditions, before he says, what's up with you guys? Where is this hope and joy you have coming from? What is it that you know that I don't know? If all the Christians had followed Peter, there probably wouldn't have needed to be a war. Christians would have won without firing a shot without holding one political office, without winning one court case with no power at all, they would have changed everything, probably. That's the the part of the approach that worked in first century Rome, probably would have worked in 1940s Germany. But more significantly, those Christians would have been a witness to the rest of the world. Because just like the guards, the world would have said, what are we missing? How are Christians like this? that's how being in exile can create a unique opportunity to witness first peter 3:15 probably familiar to some of us where peter says always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have You're probably familiar with that verse but peter is actually referring to this type of situation peter ties giving a reason for the hope that you have to persecution We often think, Peter says, you know, have a reason for the hope you have. We think he's talking about just how we live our daily lives, and people will somehow see a light within us. They'll ask us what it is. Maybe I'm, you know, really helpful to people at work, and they're like, why are you always so helpful, right? And then when they ask that, I can tell them about Jesus. And it's fine to apply 1 Peter 3.15 to that kind of situation. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not really the context of the verse. The context is you are being persecuted, You are not resisting the persecution. You are submitting. But you are also rejoicing and even blessing those who persecute you. And if you do that, people can't not ask you, What's the deal? Why are you like this? What is this hope that is in you? That's what they ask. And Peter says, Be prepared to answer have a response ready to go, because you're going to get asked. If you have responded the right way under reviling, slander, suffering, you will get asked what your hope is. If you whine and complain and try to overpower your oppressor like everyone else does, you will not get asked what your hope is. But if you rejoice and bless, you definitely will. And you can say something like, I know for sure that the all-powerful unlimited God of the universe is totally on my side for my good in every situation, even this one. Nothing can happen to me that he doesn't allow. Everything that he lets happen is necessary for my good. Even if you pull that trigger in 10 seconds, he is working all things for my good. I know he is both that powerful and that favorable to me because of what he has already done. He is the one who spoke the stars into existence. So he's all powerful. And at the same time, he's the one who came to earth to redeem us. So he's all loving. In fact, he loves you and me so much that he paid the debt for everything that I've ever done. Done wrong. And you, Mr. Executioner, he'll pay the debt for everything you have done wrong. Like if you pull that trigger in 10 seconds. If you place your faith in him, you won't have to answer for this crime at a final judgment because he's already taken the judgment for you. He died on the cross in your place, in my place, in whoever would trust in him's place, but he didn't stay dead. He rose to life again, which shows he's more powerful than even death, but his resurrection also shows he's more powerful that he overcame, that he's capable of reversing all the sin of the world that sent him to the cross in the first place, all the sin of the world that hung on his shoulders while he was hanging there, every bad thing that has ever happened or ever will happen in the world, including if you pull the trigger on me, his resurrection shows he can reverse all the evil effects of it because that's what he was paying for on the cross. Since he rose from the dead, everything will be okay, even this, if you pull that trigger. That's my hope right now. That's why I'm not afraid. Good will win in the end. I will see my Redeemer standing on the earth, and I hope, Mr. Executioner, that you are there with me rejoicing on that day. What if those who persecute Christians heard that same story, that same hope, over and over and over again from every Christian they ever met? What if every Christian in our country engaged with their opponents that way? What if Christians were known for, yes, of course, our own personal ethical lifestyles, living with integrity and chastity and honor and humility, all of those, of course. But what if we were also known for submitting to the authorities no matter what and blessing those who oppose us, even rejoicing when we lose? What if we were known for those things? instead of being known for lowering ourselves to using the same tactics everyone else uses, mocking our enemies, stoking our base through anger and fear, bashing the characters of others, arguing, fighting, overpowering. What if we actually were blessing, rejoicing, working for good, and submitting? It would be quite a witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our hope that is not tied to our circumstances, that is not tied to how much power or influence we hold in a society, but is told that is that is tied to what you did on the cross. That you absorbed all the evil of the world and rose in victory again, showing that it can and will be conquered. And that our debt for participating in it has been paid. May we leap like calves released from stalls. Even when we face difficulty for living in a place that isn't home. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the symbol uh, or one of them that Jesus gave the church um, in order to commemorate what he did and remind us of what he did for us on the cross um, is, of course, communion. And at Bridges, we um, most often take communion the first Sunday of the month. Um, And so in just a minute, our ushers are going to pass uh, communion. or They'll come to your row. You don't have to get up at all. They'll pass a tray and you can take communion. a double cup. One has um, bread and the other has juice. Um, and this is the symbol of what Christ did for us, um, that he had a broken body, that he shed his blood on our place in the cross um, so that we could be forgiven um, and reunited with him. The ushers will pass that out. If you, if you would just hang on to it for a second, um, I'll come back up here and we will all take it together. bread from the table, broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. Pray as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we will call to our mind how He stood in our place, took what we deserve, so that we may have what He deserves—fullness of life in You. We rejoice over His work in His
1: name. Amen. the best news anybody could ever hear, right? It's just God loves us. It's not us loving God as much as God loving us and seeing us and providing for us, giving us hope and reason to get up in the morning and to go throughout each day. There's nothing in this world that can give us that kind of hope. So I hope that this week you're encouraged and challenged to live with hope that we talked about today in such a way that people would then ask you about hope. those doors would open and that we'd be ready. When they come to share a reason for the hope that we have. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about anything you heard in the sermon today, we'd love to, as pastors, be available to you and uh, try to point you in the right direction or show you some scripture. Just pray together however we can help bear burdens and be of support to you. We're so glad that you made it out today, and we do pray for your safety as you head home or wherever you're going this afternoon. Before we depart, just want to spend a little moment here in prayer because this saturday we have a or this friday night actually we have our special night to shine event so many hours have been spent preparing for this important event and uh, without the lord's help without the lord's provision without the lord's blessing on this event it's just our human effort and we don't want that so we're supposed to have 255 honored guests here on friday 255 is the number i've been given and each of those 255 people matter to God. They have great value and worth to our creator. And so we want to just celebrate them this Friday night as they come. And we're going to have so much fun in all the different activities. And people of all abilities and of all ages, it's just going to be an incredible time. I'm told that there are going to be over 600 volunteers that are going to be here. So we can pray most of all, again, for God's hand upon that event, that it would be a time where the body of Christ is mobilized, that the volunteers are serving with one heart and with one mind, and that ultimately, that Jesus is increased and that we must decrease, that we want to see God's love elevated in a really, really great way. That's one of the best ways we can pray. On a practical uh, sense, we want to pray for weather. Uh, Not just weather, but good weather you know, we're grateful for the rain. Go take a look at the creek as you leave. It's awesome. It's like a lazy river out there, although it's not really lazy right now. It's actually a raging river, but this Friday, yeah, it'd be wonderful if the rain is held off, and so we're going to pray for that on a practical level. We're also going to pray uh, for the health and the safety of all of the people in key positions. There's still sickness going around in our community, and so we just want to pray that God's Hand would be upon those who are organizing and leading and delegating and all of those things so that come friday night they've got the energy that they need that they're protected from covid from the flu from cold and all those kinds of things that uh, might come up during the week so if you would please join me in a word of prayer uh for this friday we would love your prayer support let's pray father we have been reminded this morning the great love that you have for us. Not that we loved you first, Lord, but that you loved us and demonstrated your love that even while we were yet in sin, even while we were your enemies, Jesus died for us. And we thank you for the hope that we have because of that. Hope in this life and hope in the next. May we walk this week with open eyes and an open heart and an eager desire to be salt and light in such a way that others would see the difference that you make in our lives, that we would not look like the rest of this world, Lord, but rather would be set apart and that you would shine through us brightly and that conversations could be stirred up that that would allow us, Lord, to point others to you. May we be ready. May we initiate uh, these opportunities as they come and just take Uh, take advantage of them Lord we pray for this event this Friday thank you that you've given us a beautiful campus that's large enough to house about 900 or so people for a couple hours on a Friday night father we know that uh, this is a special night that many have been planning and praying for for a long time we desire Lord that Bridges Community Church would not get any credit Father, that all of the credit and all the honor would go to you. We pray that you would draw people to yourself, not just to this campus, but to yourself, and that each one of these honored guests, these 255 people, or you know them by name. You know every hair on their head. You know every care and concern. May they know that their creator loves them and knows them and has a plan for them and wants a relationship with them. May may they feel your presence and your love. In a special way on friday we do pray for the weather lord that you would protect us from inclement weather and help us as we set up tents and red carpet and all these things uh, for friday lord that the weather would cooperate uh, that would really be helpful lord we would also ask for flexibility and no matter what comes our way and pray for uh, health and safety for all of the volunteers and leaders who are part of this event ultimately again god we say to god be the glory We desire to see your hand upon this event. Lord, we ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Let us know how we can pray for you and encourage you. We'll see you next time.